Amen. Y'all, please take a seat. Well, hey, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs Community Church, and man, welcome. Whether it is your first time and you heard about it or you saw it online and you wanted to come and check it out because you're interested, and maybe in that you've been walking with Jesus Christ for a long time, or you're here and you're wrestling with faith for the first time, we're glad you're here. Man, I'm so excited because where we are, if you've been with us, we have been traveling our way through a series here we're calling Goals. The reason we're calling it goals is because we're working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you don't know the book very well, I'll summarize it real quick. A really encouraging church, and a guy named Paul wrote a letter to tell him so. Right? So we, as a church body, when I say church, all that means, it's not a facility, it's not a building, it's not a children's museum, it's not a chapel, there's no steeple, nothing. It is the people of God, out of a love for God, striving to be more like him. So he writes this letter to this church, encouraging them, and that's where, for we as a church body, we're calling this goals because we're putting it up as an example. We're saying, hey, what would God have us be? What would he have us grow to be like? What are our goals? Before we do that, I want to talk about a story from this week where, honestly, I just knocked it out of the park as a parent. It's just true. You don't always get those moments, especially when, because we have a one-and-a-half-year-old named Lily, sweet baby girl, and I was like a lot of one-and-a-half-year-olds. She's totally mom-dependent, mom-clingy. So for me as a dad to get a win, I try to get those whenever I can. And here's how it came about. Here was my goal, right? So my wife, this past week, she had some friends in Austin that were getting together. And so Wednesday night, she got in the car, she drove, she headed to Austin. What that means is it's then a daddy-daughter date, right? I'm at home hanging out with my baby girl, and one of the big responsibilities, and if you don't have kids yet, I just want to clue you into this so you know, one of the big responsibilities parents have for kids is feeding them, right? You'd be surprised because you're honestly more forgetful than what you think, but then they start crying, and it's a perfect reminder, right? But it was my responsibility, wife's gone, to come and care for dinner. Now, if you know me, if you know my wife, we are peculiar people and quite... Uh, a few ways, but one of the ways in particular is my wife loves, she appreciates, and I do not need audience opinions on this, but she deeply appreciates organic vegetables, healthy stuff, like that whole category, that is my wife. So everything, there's no chemicals, nothing like that. There's a whole nother, even the way we approach cleaning, it's really intense, we take it serious. Here's the reason I share that, right? We go and it's dinner time, right? Wife's gone. It's me and Lily. We come and I do what a lot of dads have done, moms too. I go, I open up the fridge and I take a look at what's inside. Here's my options, right? I have sliced apples, right? I then had this section of this kind of like potato puree thing that nobody was really going to pick that, right? (laughs) And I love my wife. I'm sure it's delicious, right? There are then cooked Carrots, we had this organic, perfect, non-GMO, turkey-sliced deli meat that cost like $12 a pound. We had that option there, too. And then there was one more option. Cake. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't pick the veggies. (laughs) Wife's out of town. I'm looking on daddy-daughter date, looking for a win. She's not there. What do I reach for? Double chocolate fudge. 
nothing bunt cake. Y'all ever had a nothing bunt cake? Okay, wow, look at that. Like all the females are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Husbands are like, I've made a couple drives for those. All I have to say is, I look and I turn to my one-and-a-half-year-old. Now, she can communicate well enough. Obviously, you can't have conversations with her. But I look at her and I just say, cake? And she just lights up. She doesn't know how to ask for things yet, so she'll point or she, she, she can say cake, but then she'll just say, more, more, more. She just starts saying that on repeat. So I go, I get it out, I carry her, I take her, I put her up on the couch, we put on cartoons. We're not really supposed to watch TV, we're not supposed to eat food on the couch, but mom's away, right? So we sit there, and, and I put her right here under my left arm. Right? And she just keeps saying, more, more. Right? And I'm getting to it. And part of it, I thought I was going to get to eat some of this. I got like two bites, right? But I pull this open. I'm sitting here and I'm holding her. And she's one of those kiddos where she's constantly mobile. She's constantly running. So I'm totally using cake as bait to get her to cuddle with dad. Right? But I put my arm around her. I go to take a bite and I give her a piece. And then she just say, more. Seriously, give her a piece. More, I literally heard the word more 50 times plus on repeat as my daughter sat with her dad, right? A dad who honestly, hey, mom's away, and yeah, we give her good food, so if you're worried about like, I'm supposed to honor the food pyramid, chill out, right? (laughs) We give her good food, but dad's gone. I want to bless her with a good gift. And man, it's just me feeding my daughter cake. And what was she asking for? more. But here's the thing. She eventually, and it was impressive, because it was like half of a smaller one, right? She ate that thing. And then all of a sudden, we're done. But here's what she didn't do. Maybe she didn't think I had more cake, because even she, we can say all done, and she knows there's nothing left. But she then sat there. She hung out with me, and she watched. It's some beat bug show on Netflix, right? And she watched this cartoon with me for probably the next 30 minutes, as I just had my arm around my daughter. And here's what I loved. Not only that she kept asking for more of this gift from her father, but man, she knew I so cared about her. She knew I so had her back. She knew I so wanted to just sit there at the end of it, at the end of it. This was my favorite, right? Because I'd come home from work because I had to get there. So I was still kind of dressed up. Um, And she looks at me as I set her down at the end because it's time to get ready for bed. And she just looks at me. She walks right up to me. I think she's going to give me a hug. I'm still sitting on the couch. She leans over. She grabs my shirt because her face is covered in chocolate. And she just goes, (laughs) rubs the whole thing off on my button down. Here's why that moment is a moment I pray I never forget. Why? My daughter, she wanted more of the cake, and then she wanted more of a time with her dad. And then even in the moment of asking for that, she felt so connected. And I get it, she's one and a half, but still the principle's true. She knew my dad loves me enough to bless me. And my dad loves me enough that even when I take that blessing and I make him dirty with it, he's still excited to go take me and give me a bath. The the reason I start with that story today, because that heart, that theme It's found all throughout the Christian faith, and as we'll see today, it's found in our text. Here's what I mean. Today, we're going to talk about how Christians are called to more and more and more and more. Now, as you can guess, obviously, I'm not talking about cake, 
right? But the thing that a Christian does in response to a father who loves them, who wants to bless them, to spend time, put their arm around the child, get to know, connect with, and even when the child takes it and dirties them, wants to spend time connecting and say, I want more. And the thing that Christians, we're called to want more and more is godliness. It's the idea of God himself and connecting with him. And the reason why I think this matters so much, especially if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, at times I can feel like God does not want me. Like even though I'm called to want more of God, what I can tend to think or what I can feel is this perceived sense of distance to where in reality, God doesn't want more of me. He wants a better version of me. The first thing that I think is we begin to talk about Christians in pursuing more and more. What we are called to in faith is this idea of where it begins. It starts with the reality of before we ask for more, God came to bless us with good things. So I think as you listen to this, this is vital for those of you who like me can tend to think, I don't know if I want more of God because honestly, I'm distant from him and I don't know if he really cares more about me. And if you're here, the reason I think that this talk matters, especially if you're working through faith or even if you don't like God at all, like you're here because a parent dragged you, a friend brought you, someone's buying you lunch, whatever, is the theme is Christians, we're called to something. We are called by faith. We believe in Jesus Christ. We'll talk, we'll talk more about that in a minute. We have this belief. But the other thing is you come and you examine the Christian faith. Here's what needs to be true of the lives of the Christians around you. The first is they are imperfect. I don't doubt that they've hurt you, that Christians have hurt you, and I don't doubt they'll hurt you again. But despite that pain, what should still be true in their life, what should be true in my life, is that over time, because we say that we know true love, we become more lovely. More and more and more. So if you're here thinking through faith, there's two things I want to put on the table. I want to remove for you the idea of Christians will be hypocrites but how they respond to the hypocrisy matters. How they respond with as you examine them, if you see in them a hunger for more and more and more. I pray it just helps you to encourage and get to know the God who started it with good gifts in the first place. The text we're going to be looking at today, we, we finished up 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 last week. We're starting, obviously, chapter 4. We're just going to look at two verses. And there's a reason we're just going to look at two verses. But these two verses, they really outline a shift in the text. They outline a shift in this letter. Because the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, he's starting with this theme where he's going to talk about, we as Christians, we are called to more and to more. And in order to do that, he's going to remind this church body of three reasons, three ways of doing that. The first thing we have to focus on, the first thing we have to remember, church, it's our path, then it's our progress, and the final idea we'll talk about today 
is our principles. Again, as I shared, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians 4. If you're new to the book, here's what's happened in the first three chapters, right? There's this local church body in Thessalonica. That's modern-day Greece. They have been faithful. They've grown in their faith despite persecution, despite affliction. The apostle Paul, he'd come to tell them, there's a God in heaven who loves you. You don't have to work your way to him. He's come down to you. He doesn't call you to be slave. He calls you as a son or a daughter. And all he asks, like any good father, is you believe. That faith so grasped their life, it changed them. To where the first three chapters, Paul, he's writing this letter because he'd gotten this report about, man, I hear you guys are faithful. He's celebrating and encouraging. He's reflecting on the joy of these people who know God give good gifts. And because of that, I want to be like him. And this is the part where the text shifts. Chapters four and five, it's going to shift out of this almost theme of encouragement and celebration to now exhortation. It's Paul looking at folks and saying, man, you have been getting after it. And now I want to help you get after it more and more and more and more. Well done. Keep going. In church, it's this beautiful blueprint for the theme of not only in the keep going, in the trajectory that our lives are called to reflect, but also grasping the motive for it in the first place. So what I want to do is, I'm just going to read verses one through two. We're going to circle back up. We're going to read verse one, and we're just going to start breaking it out. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's First Thessalonians chapter four. We'll have it on the screens too, iPhone, anything like that. I'm going to read one through two and then come back. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. Some of your versions may say excel still more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Anytime great writers go to make a big shift, they set up introductory statements that tell the reader, hey, here's where we're going. Paul's telling us where we're going. The first place, let's read again verse one. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Church, for us, as we strive to be more and more in response to God's love, there's a first thing we have to keep as a daily, constant reminder. It's our path. It's our path. Where where am I getting the word path? You see there, there's a verb he uses, or excuse me, it's a noun. It's our walk. If you journeyed with us a couple months ago, we worked our way through the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians have a transition just like this, where the Apostle Paul, he uses this same word, walk. And we talked about then the same thing it means now. It's talking about the daily direction of our lives. It's talking about, as Christians, the choice of the path. God, I'm going to follow your will, 
not mine. But Paul, the way he introduces this here, I even love his language. He says, finally. He doesn't mean this is the last sentence. Right, he's transitioning there. He says, brothers. He reminds them something he's been telling them this whole book. The church is a family. And he's speaking to family. And then he leads with, we ask you. It's this kind request. He's saying, man, I'm asking you. And then after that, he follows it up almost like the big brother. He says, and hey, man, I'm urging you. Sense of urgency to the kind, gracious request. Right, who is he doing it on behalf of in the Lord Jesus? That's the only one the Apostle Paul's talking about. So the path we're called to walk, who's it called to reflect? Who's it called to honor? The Lord Jesus Christ. That as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God, just as you are doing. The final two thoughts out of this idea here. As you ought to walk. The Christian life has something, which by the way, I looked this up. It's actually a word. I didn't think it was, but I call oughtness. There is a oughtness to the soul of a follower of Jesus Christ. In the same way, when I'm on GPS and I take a wrong turn and it pops up in rerouting, that GPS is saying, hey, you ought to go back. You ought to turn around. The soul of a Christian has that same internal sense of oughtness. Why? Because Jesus Christ has done so much in response to that by love, we ought to. And man, what I love is you see this correlation to oughtness, pleasing God. Sometimes folks, depending on their relationship with God, when they think about your life as a follower of Jesus Christ has a goal, it has an aim, And the aim of that life is to please God. They can think about that, and that begins to think, well, that means God's selfish. He's trying to make it about him. Or a lot of times, if you're like me, you can come and you can begin to think that, but then begin to say, but that doesn't stack up against all the other evidence, against everything else that's true. I want to please him. Because he first laid down everything to give me a simple present of faith. Freedom comes when you don't live for yourself. You know who knows that? A good father in heaven who simply wants to put his arm around you. As you say, more. It brings blessing. And then Paul too, what I love about this is he's a great friend and pastor He's calling them to more as he says to them, just as you are doing. Have you ever met a Christian who had this theme of, uh, it's okay if they go ahead and mail it in? I'd never heard that phrase until I came to New Braunfels. Right? The, The idea of mail it in is, hey, where they are, it's good enough. Let them keep going. The Apostle Paul, he's saying here, our path means we never mail it in. I can remember uh, before I was a follower of Christ back in college. Right? I can remember my life, it had a tremendous amount of ups and downs. I come out of high school as this like what I would call cultural Christian. I would acclaim the idea, but at the end of high school, I was so fed up with God. 
Because God to me was this tyrant who all he wanted was my obedience. And if I didn't do it, he was looking to catch me in sin. And so through college, what marked my life, and then after, was this up and down cycle of guilt, sin, shame. Why not sin again? Guilt, sin, shame. For me, it looked like I continued into addiction to pornography I'd had since fifth grade. Right? I went, and at this point, because through high school, I tried to be this Christian guy. Through high school, I went, and I was like, you know what? Maybe now I could become the life of the party. I was the guy who, if you went to what was for me, my fraternity house, right? if you went there and if you showed up, you would have thought no one had more fun than that guy. And the next day, man, I would have been the first one to, first one to tell you, no one feels more despair than this guy. Marked by broken relationships, ineffective in everything, no sense of joy or peace. And I can remember thinking, if I just changed what I'm doing, if I just changed my path. So my senior year, what did I do? I tried to stop looking at porn. I tried to stop drinking. I tried to stop fooling around. And I thought, and I still remember the Starbucks. If I stop at that Starbucks, I pull in, I sit down, I read my Bible for at least 30 minutes. That's the different path. That's the path I need to be on because this path is killing me. That's the path I need to be on. Start of my senior year, I think I went six weeks, maybe. And it was like the worst six weeks of my life. Simply trying in every effort to change my path on my own strength. It never worked until, fast forward a year and a half, I came to realize the way your path changes in the first place it's not by you trying to be a better version of yourself. God doesn't want a different version of you. He wants a believing you. He wanted a believing me. I can remember sitting in an apartment, realizing that in a way that changed me. I didn't have to work for the path. He set me on the path by faith. But here's what I thought would happen. Well, I'm on this new path. I will never deviate. The sense of oughtness was, of course, why would I ever do anything apart from what God would have me do? Well, if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, here's, here's what you know to be true. Yes, there's a moment in your life where God changed the path. It's a fixed time where because of his love, he puts you on a different path. But then you know what else is also true? Every day, faithfulness looks like, God, your path, not mine. Every business interaction where you're sitting there thinking through, am I motivated by greed or public good, God, your path, not mine. Every moment when your child is angry, they're throwing fits, now one hit the other, they're lying for the 14th time, and you've just had it because it was already a long day. God, your path, not mine. Every, every time you look at your finances, and the primary driving force in your life when it comes to money is what can I buy myself? Even if you don't think about it this way, even if you don't, but to make myself feel better. What's the choice? Wait, God, your path, not mine. As followers of Christ, as we want to be more and more because of God who loved us, the thing we have to remember is daily, or, or, or maybe for the first time, to change an eternity, our path.
Let's pick that up. Let's pick that verse up again. Jump back in there with me. We're going to read chapter 4, verse 1. There's just a last phrase. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, to please God, just as you are doing, this is the part I want us to focus on, that you do so more and more. Paul, this church right here, as he's writing this letter to them, one of the things he's celebrated, one of the things he's encouraged them in is they've endured persecution. They've endured affliction. And in that, they were faithful. Imagine that, man. Someone came to threaten your life because of your love for Jesus Christ. And then your pastor came to you. And he said, way to go. Way to go. Do it again. Keep going. Let your fame be so spread that not just one comes, but ten comes. Do it again. More and more. This verb here, do so more and more, it's two things combined. The first one, it's talking about abounding, and it's a technical term. It's the idea of imagine almost if we had a pitcher of water here and the jug was full. To abound means overflowing. So faithfulness, he's calling them, may your faithfulness abound more and more. And he says, let it overflow. And then he adds on to what he already calls to overflow, more. Overflow, more. Overflow, more. Overflow, more. Is that because God looks at us and he demands it? No. It's because he knows the more means more of him. And any time we have more of him, that's the life you want. It's the life I want. The second idea that we have to keep front and center, church, is we want to strive to be more and more, not for our faith, but because of our faith. It is our progress. Our progress. Now, whenever you begin to talk about something like progress, especially in Christian settings, you've really got to clarify one thing. Your progress means nothing, means nothing for starting and having a relationship with God that has nothing to do with it, that is anti-gospel, anti-biblical, anti-Christ. All you got to do is believe. doesn't mean anything for your behavior, but what you got to believe is you're a sinner who deserved eternity from God in hell. But he loves you in the same way he loves me. And he didn't want you to spend it there. Why? Because he wanted you to be reconciled with him in the same way a good father wants to sit beside a child on a couch and give good gifts. And all he looks at you is not do better, not be more, but do you believe that I love you and I sent my son to prove it through his death and resurrection on a cross? That's it. But in response to that, what God does care about, what we should want, church, more and more, not because the current version of us makes us feel guilty and why don't I try harder, that's, that's guilt and shame are tools of the devil. We should want more and more of, I want to be more like him, less like me, more like him, less like me, our progress. A lot of folks take progress really serious in some areas 
and not very serious in others. I had the opportunity. There's an area where, man, I know I have taken this seriously. So my daughter that I told you guys about at the beginning, she's one and a half. When she was born, really sick, really sick. We thought she was going to die. Stayed in that for a while. All that to say, she's great now, obviously, eating chocolate cake. But we spend 46 days in an ICU. And we come out of that, and right out of that, here's what I was imagining. One, we didn't think she'd live. But two, especially from talking with all the doctors, because she'd had a brain bleed, she had all this stuff going on. We imagine, okay, our daughter, where we are, we're, we're going to pray for full health. But the honest reality is, the way I always envisioned, envisioned it was, uh, I've had friends who had to buy the Chrysler minivan. I don't know why it's always the Chrysler minivan, by the way. But what it does is it has a load capacity on the bottom where because of that door, you can open the door and then out can come the handicap ramp to come on. Now, if some of you here, you have one or you know of that, I can remember thinking, okay, God, we're getting a Chrysler and rejoicing because I at least had the privilege of the Chrysler. The reason I share that, though, is because we leave that doctor's office. We leave that time. It was this... um, at-risk children's youth hospital. That was our pediatrician. And I can remember moving here. We took and still take developmental milestones really seriously. Things like movement of fingers. Is there fine motor skills? Can you pick up small things as well as big things? I had a friend point out to me the reality of how Lily, she went, that's my daughter's name, she put on a sock and then she put on a shoe. Now, the sock didn't fit her, and the shoe was mine, but still, he said, hey, that is a mark. I have friends as well, right? As Lily, right now, by the grace of God and that alone, she's met developmental milestones. But I have friends as well, friends as well, who their kiddos, just as loved, just as beautiful, just as divine, just as cared for. And their kids haven't met the same developmental milestones. The reason I share that is God cares far less about did they do this? Did they get to this point? Did they get to this point? Did they get to this point? Have they progressed all this way in their faith as much as he reflects the love of both parents for both kids? Taylor and I, we want our daughter to progress. My friends whose kids, who they may not progress, they may not meet the same developmental milestones. You know what they want? In their way, with that child's divine beauty, with its humanity reflecting the image of God and the wonder and the majesty that they are. In that child's way, they want to help it progress. That's the same heart of our God and Father who heaven, who's not looking at you and saying, okay, jump through this hoop. All right, now jump through this hoop. All right, now jump through this hoop. But he's simply saying, keep going. More and more. Why? Because you get more of me and I become more in you. It's the abundant life, church. As we want to be more and more, the thing we have to focus on, the thing we have to remember is our progress. Not for legalism, not to check boxes off, not to prove to God that this better version of ourself was finally enough. Anti-gospel, anti-biblical. No. We get 
him. He gets us more and more. Let's look at the last verse. Last verse. Verse 2. Paul goes, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. The third idea out of this text is we, as followers of Christ, our heart is to become, because of his love, say, I want to be more. I want to be more. I want to be more. The thing we have to remember, the thing we have to focus on is where we get our principles. Our principles. Paul, he's writing this letter to this group of people he went to visit. These were people that he'd come and he told them in person the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. These are people he's writing letters to. And what is Paul claiming about his letters? They're instructional and they are from the Lord Jesus. He does not hide his divine authority as a messenger of God. Don't hide behind any of that. He claims it. No, I've told you things on behalf of Christ. And the instructions right here, because the word instructions, so you know, if you look at an original manuscript, you won't find that. It's implied through the text as they want to remind you and they want to remind me. Not only does God want us to grow to be more and more, so we look more like him, more in love with him, and more loved by him. Actually, we can't be more loved by him, but receiving more of his love for us. He doesn't even want us to go at it alone. Like he left not a rule book, and I know so many people like roll their eyes at this, but I promise you if you spend more time getting to know God through this, you'll say it's absolutely true. It's not a rule book. It is a love letter from a God who is on a rescue mission to come and redeem me from the pain and the sorrow, the indifference, the apathy, the go-along, get-along, nominal, average, culturally American life. He wants to rescue me from that as he did and he still does. So what does he give us? Principles. Why do we need it? It helps us look more like him. My wife Taylor, we, uh, I remember we got married. So we got married, we were so excited. We dated for two years. We'd done like 42,000 hours of premarital counseling. Seriously, it was overwhelming and nauseating at the same time. But we go, we finally get married. Man, this beautiful wedding day, we get on a plane, we go to Mexico, honeymoon, it's amazing. We think, wow, sky's the limits. I'm never going to have problems again. All the married people are like, that's dumb. <laughs> right, we come back, and I'll remember, we had a one-bedroom apartment in Dallas. We'd just gotten it. I was so pumped. We come back, and you know what we hadn't done? We hadn't set up the apartment in any way. So we come from like where you walk into a resort and they like walk up to you, hello, Mr. Umquist, and they hand you a drink. We go from that all the way to, we open up this apartment door and it's a mess. All of our friends, they were our friends, they just came and dumped everything, right? It was all there, nothing was set up. We'd intentionally plan to say, hey, let's take a couple days after the honeymoon and we can get settled, right? Hang out with each other. No, man, you know where that went to? Setting up that one bedroom apartment. So I ride this marital high all the way into the honeymoon. We come back. We're at that point. We're probably at cruising altitude, 
right? And then we get there, we walk through the door, and we see the chaos of that. And here's what happened to my marriage. All of a sudden, the marriage book that I was planning to write because I was so knocking it out of the park in my first week, right? <laughs> Y'all have never had that feeling? All of a sudden, man, I see this dysfunction, and boom, it just starts descending like chaos. Why? I'm arguing with her. I'm disagreeing with her. I'm being short with her, frustrating her. I'm making her mad. The first step of my spiritual leadership in marriage, I'm not kidding, was asking my wife and I, I'd never, I'd never done it, to memorize Proverbs 15, 28. Here, I'll put it up here for you guys, right? Here, because I've so rehearsed this with my wife, though, here's what I can tell you. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Do I get it? Okay, hey man, I've said it a ton. To where all of a sudden we're back from honeymoon, cruising altitudes over, we are in a free fall, and I look at her and I say, hey, here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna implement Proverbs 15, 28 moments, and we begin to feel ourselves descending, spiraling out. Either one of us is just able to say, 15, 28. And what that meant was a 15-minute break. 15-minute break where we walked away. Man, I was 24 at the time. I'd heard forever think before you speak. Yeah, hadn't applied that. Had never applied that. What was I able to go and do is I was trying to, in my life, and now with my new bride, become more and more and more and more. I didn't have to come up with a tip or a trick. I didn't have to come up with the wisdom of men. I didn't have to come up with some amazing, I did not freak out, get in the car, drive to Barnes and Noble and find the marital self-help section. I didn't have to do that. Why? I knew Proverbs 15 had something about conflict in it, so I just turned there. And I waited until I found one, and I said, that's it. And I was able to take the principles of God in my life and apply it in a way. God's word, as you get to know it, as you cling to it, as you fall in love with it, by his spirit, it is the greatest mentor you will ever have. Right, Jesus, he goes so far, right? This is John 17, 17, where he goes and he talks about his future church. He's praying for him. He's praying for you and he prays for me. And he says, sanctify them. Help them to become more and more set apart as righteous. Sanctify them in the truth. And you know what Jesus knew? He ends it with, your word is truth. As we think about how do we become more and more not for legalism, but for love. More and more of a God is we shift out of, you've been faithful, let's keep going, let's grow to more and more. There's three things we gotta think about. We gotta remember our path. We have to remember that our life says, God, daily, your will, not mine. Your way, not mine. Your path, not mine. The second thing in church God blesses places when people have this type of heart who out of a love for him, not trying to earn anything or better themselves or impress anybody with zero attempt at self-righteousness. But when people who sincerely say, I want to be more like you, less of me, 
more of you, and they actively pursue it. The second thing we got to focus on as we strive to be more and more, our progress. Our progress. And the third thing, what is the guidebook, the divine love letter that he gave you and he gave me to help us do it? It's this. And what is in it besides breath on a page, the word of God? It's principles. It's not a rule book. It's a love letter. But in that love letter, it changes the way we live. And as we align our heart to the heart of God, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you experience more and more love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. Imagine what we could do if in me, if in you, we all took seriously growing in that through his word. There's no other place I'd rather be. No other place. One of the things that helps in sermons like this is you always come, and you've heard this in a lot of times, you come and there's a moment of application, the ask, where you really do try to work to make it practical. Here's the thing, guys. I'm sure a better preacher could give you an honest application. They could go tell you to do something. They could go tell you to do something. The best thing I got is a heart that simply says, help me to be want to be more and more, more and more, more and more. If you remember at the beginning of this, we started talking about, about what I think this so matters is not just the trajectory that God wants to put you on and he wants to put me on, but it's the motive for it, the motivation behind why. It's, it's the first three chapters of Thessalonians and then it shifts to the last two. The first three chapters, I'd summarize it this way. As we think about our Father in heaven, as we think about God, here's what I'm asking you to bring to mind. God gave us his most. God gave us his most. So we can give him more. God gave us his most. Most, and stay with me while I explain that in a second. He gave us his most so we can give him more. There's no way in any realm of your life you can out pursue, out connect with, out get to know what God wants to do with you. As I go to think through the, the practical things of man, conflict in my marriage discipling in my baby girl, caring for this church body, investing in community, looking at my money and saying, God, it's yours. What do you want to do with it? Examining sexual sin in my life and saying, God, help me to hate it more than I do. That's more and more. You know why we do that, church? It's because he gave us his most. Like God in heaven, and stay with me, who had Everything, Jesus Christ had everything, who was in the fullness of God, came down from a throne room to be born in a manger, to live a life for 30 years in perfection, knowing the people who he came to save would kill him. They'd mock him. His family would mock him. And then it would be my sin, my sin that killed him. And then he'd look 
And he would feel and he would say as he hung there dying, God in the flesh. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And to make sure you didn't have doubt and I didn't have doubt and to prove throughout all eternity God is God and he does what he says he will do. He rose from the grave in triumphant victory. He gave his most, his most beloved son. Christ came because he loves us so. Jesus even says, Father, the way you love me and he is God's most, love them. How do we give more? Because we know God gave his most. Church, if you have an obedience problem, I have an obedience problem. Work your way upstream and think through what's the belief. Work your way upstream and identify, hey, where in 1 Thessalonians 3, where it talks about my identity, my sainthood in God, did I go wrong? And then find your way downstream and plead for more and more and more. He gave his most so we can give him more. There's a guy I know that, man, he has exemplified this to me in a huge way. If you don't know him, his name's Kerry. He's a member of our body. I've had, had the chance to get to know Kerry over the past year or so. Kerry now, he's, he's 83 years old. He's been walking with Jesus Christ for decades. Right, Kerry, he's in great health, so much so that I talked to him this morning. He's on vacation with his bride, and I caught him on the middle of a golf course out on the East Coast. He's doing so well, but one of the things that's true is his health has changed in the past year to where all of a sudden the things that can tend to happen in your 80s are starting to happen. I can remember Carrie, I don't know, maybe two months ago, he came to join us on a Thursday morning. We talked about it in the announcements, but every Thursday we have corporate prayer where people gather and they pray for you. Carrie comes. I can remember a time ago where Carrie, he started praying. And Carrie, he's 83, and he came in there, and he sits down. He always has this one chair because it helps his back pain. He never has to set an alarm. He never has an issue getting there. Why? Because he's had a lot of back pain for a long time. So he says he has a friend, and his friend is named Pain. And Pain wakes him up. But he gives thanks because before Carrie ever comes to pray at 615, he says because of pain, he's already been up getting to know his father sitting at a table, and that's his remedy. But he comes and he sits in this chair, and we go to pray, and we kind of go around in a circle, and carry, he begins to pray. And he always starts his prayers pretty much the same, where he says, Abba, Father. He knows the love of his dad. He starts his prayers the same, and then he continues on, and he gets to a place where all of a sudden I start to think, where's he going with this? And Carrie had recently been wrestling with more health issues, and he asked God for help. He asked God to be more. And the thing he asked God as I sat there, far younger man than Carrie, he said, God, would you help me to finish well? Would you help me to finish well? In case you're wondering what he's praying for is God, help me to die well. Now, is he anywhere near that? No, he's playing golf. But is that much more because of his life circumstance and situation in his front view mirror than perhaps some others of us, even though God can do that at any time. Yeah. And so he sits there and he prays, God, would you help me to finish 
well. Carrie's not mailing it in. Carrie's sitting there and saying, God, would you help me to finish well? And you know who does that? You know who, towards the end of life, when they've been faithful and discipled countless people, been a steward to so many, been so generous, so hospitable, so loving for so long. He knows the love of his father, and because of the love of his father, he says more and more and more. The way you finish well is you, by God's grace, strive to live well. Carrie has done that for a long time. So much so, man. So much so. There's a group that meets here every Monday night. Right now, we can't take more people, but in the future, I pray we can. It's a biblical discipleship ministry. It's a recovery ministry called Regeneration where you sit there and you examine the areas of your life that are far less than godly, the areas of your life that hinder, that hold you back, that hurt you, your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups. And you examine the sin, you take it seriously. And in response to it, you say, but the love of the Savior is far greater than any brokenness I've brought. Carrie, 83 years old, he's going through it. Where he shows up, Weekly to sit there and say, God, would you help me be more and more and more? Church, I want to live that way. I want to do that my whole life. I need your help to do it. And God says, we need each other's help to be it. Why? Because he loved us most. It's because of him we can even come. It's because of him that carry as he prays to finish well The motivating factor is one day he with peace says, I get to meet God in a different way. And I get to hold the hand of the man that I've prayed with, prayed to, prayed for help from for decades. He gave his most. Church, let's give him our more. I'm gonna invite the band up. But as I do, join me in praying. Father, man, I thank you for this text. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the reminder. First Thessalonians chapters one through three, you come and you say, in Christ, new. In Christ, saved. In Christ, saint. How you're not looking for a better version of me, but at the same time, like a good father, training a child in righteousness. You do want to help me to be more and to be more. I can't do that without your help. This church, God, I pray that blessing on the springs. If people are coming from other churches, I pray that blessing there. May we be a people who out of a love for you take seriously this call to love more and more. Because every time we get more of you, we are not left wanting. Every time... We get more of you. There's a freedom and a purpose of life and what can come through. So we give you this time now as we respond in song.